This episode is powered by Safety FM. This podcast is being sponsored by SafetyConsultantBlueprint.com. In this week's episode, we are going to go over what I consider to be the OSHA Compliance Masterclass. I won't be able to do it all in one episode. However, what I am going to be able to do is I'm going to go through these things a little bit at a time, and then we are going to um, break it up into, I guess, two, possibly three different episodes. But altogether, I really want to go through things that are going to help you as a safety consultant in the U.S. get a great understanding of how to protect your clients by understanding OSHA better. So this is different than my OSHA updates that I've done. This one is going to be an OSHA compliance masterclass of sorts, not like the one I did previously, because I am an OSHA guy, so I do these kind of a few times since I've started this podcast. But this one is going to be more of demystifying OSHA. Let's call it that, demystifying OSHA. So stick around. Do you want to be a safety consultant? Listen to Dr. J. Allen of Safety FM give his experience after taking the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. I have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested in it. It has good information. Don't get me wrong. But you have a consulting course that really drives people onto focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figured I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus, and I want to Thank you for listening to this podcast, whatever service you're listening to. It could be on iTunes, it could be on Stitcher, it could be on anything. There's all kinds of podcasting services now. And podcasting is pretty much like the blog of early 2000. A lot of people are doing podcasts now. And I jumped on the bandwagon with the podcast. I believe this is episode 40-ish. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say 43, 42 of course, I'll know by the end of this, but I think it's like episode 42. So thank you so much for listening. And I would ask you, if you hadn't had a chance yet, to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Also, if you can, please go to whatever tunes, iTunes or whatever you're listening to and rate us. Uh, well, by us, I mean me. Rate me. Give me a, a a grade. Let me know how I'm doing. So five, four, three, two, one stars. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's going to be a five-star review, but uh, just honestly tell me what you think. Uh, if you know someone who is going to be a safety consultant or you think that they could find value in this type of show, then go ahead and suggest to them to go ahead and subscribe. 
That'll be awesome. I would love it. Thank you so much. So this is what I'm going to do this week. And this week I am going to talk about OSHA, and I want to go through a lot of OSHA, and I'm not going to do it. It's going to take me a little while. Let's say it that way. It's going to take me a while, and the reason why is because I'm going to have to break down a bunch of different things. And I am an OSHA specialist because I'm doing my safety consulting in the U.S. So in doing that, yes, I got to know about OSHA. And I am currently still a safety consultant. So not only do I host a podcast, I am working in the field. I am doing my own consulting so I could put food on my family's table too. So uh, if you do need me, you could get a hold of me at Sheldon at shellbro.com, S-H-E-L-B-R-O-U-G-H.com. And I do represent all of the U.S. and their territories. So it don't matter where you are. I'm home-based in Florida, but I can go anywhere, and I do go many places. So go ahead and give me a call if you need me. So Or send me an email. I'll do my phone number another time when, you know, you don't need the phone number right now because then my phone will blow up. But you got my email, sheldon at shellbro.com, S-H-E-L-B-R-O-U-G-H.com. And I'll also direct you to sheldonprimus.com so you could find me that way as well. All right, so now to tell you what I'm going to go over not all of this is going to be today again. I'm going to have to do it in a few different ways. I'm going to have to go back and forth. And I really wanted to give you a good understanding of OSHA itself, just to demystify OSHA. That's what I'm going to go and call this one, demystifying OSHA. So first we'll talk about the jurisdiction of OSHA. We'll talk about the difference between state and federal OSHA. We'll talk about reading your CFRs and how to find the right reference when you're looking for regulations and the best way of doing that. We'll even talk about the incorporation by reference too. We're going to talk about the field operations manual at this time. The most recent is 163, so we'll mention that. Uh, we'll talk about regional emphasis programs, local emphasis programs, compliance letters, enforcement units, OSHA record-keeping, written programs. We'll even talk about training requirements, audits, and the importance of executive orders as they relate to the agency. So from that docket of things I'm going to talk about, it's going to be a lot. So you're going to just uh, go with me on this OSHA journey, uh, however long it lasts. If it's three, four episodes, hang in there. This is going to help you. I want you to be able to refer to it back and forth. This is going to be through the eyes of a safety consultant because I was always working in the public sector and the public sector for Florida. So I, well, most of my career was as a public sector employee through the state. However, I did have some times when I did work in construction, and I did have some time when I worked in manufacturing. So in those two areas, I was subject to federal OSHA, but not to any state because Florida did not have a state plan. And when I was with the actual state of Florida working for a special district of the state, I was exempt from OSHA. And that leads me to the first part. Who is covered by OSHA? So very regularly, especially, and I'm going to do this from OSHA's website, so you can actually see OSHA's website. If you go to OSHA.gov, you want to click into 
uh, the part that says all about OSHA or about OSHA. So what we do have, and first let's start about their, their wording. So OSHA's wording on OSHA's, I quote, the act, the OSHA Act, which is the OSHA Act of 1971, covers most private sector employers and their workers, in addition to some public sector employees and workers in the 50 states and certain territories and jurisdiction under federal authority. Those jurisdictions include D.C., Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, American Samoa, Guam, Northern Meridian or Mariana Islands, Wake Island, Johnston Island, and the Outer Continental Shelf Lands, as defined in the Outer Continental Shelf Land Act. So that is the official word of who is covered by OSHA. The biggest thing that I see is most people understand that if there is not a state plan, meaning uh, TOSHA for Tennessee OSHA or Cal OSHA or something like that, then the public sector employees do not have any protection under federal OSHA. So therefore, their cities, their counties, their townships, their parishes, whatever their the name is, they will have to create their own ordinances for safety and health or their own policies for safety and health. And if that's the case, who do you report to if something's doing wrong in the city? Who do you talk to if something's going wrong in the county? Who do you have to complain against? And those complaints and those issues will end up having to go right back to the city, right back to the county and the parish or whoever, and they're going to have to negotiate it themselves. So you're going to end up going through the process where you're going to go through the chain of command to the next person, to the next person, until you get some sort of resolution on your problem or you don't. If there's a union, you go to your union and have the union represent you. But as far as OSHA, they have no jurisdiction for those employees. Now, OSHA does have some limited jurisdiction over federal, uh, like the post office. Uh, the post office has the employer uh, connotation, employer-employee connotation, because they are accepting you know, money from the public sector and their, or excuse me, from the private sector in ways of postage and other things that they use for uh, the money that is exchanged for the services of getting your mail. So they are affecting commerce in that way, and that is your definition for the employer is a person that is affecting commerce. And then the employee is a person that works for someone who's affecting commerce. So uh, that's one of the reasons why those select entities that are receiving dollars from the public, even though they are federal agencies, can be cited under OSHA. OSHA has jurisdiction over them. Currently, OSHA does have... Uh, a principal deputy secretary assistant of labor, which is Lorreen Sweat. She is currently uh, the one who is in charge of OSHA right now. And uh, there isn't a permanent person, but she's acting in that position. So that is currently what's going on. And at the date of this recording, it is November 2019. And that's where we have over uh, for that so that leaves us with a bunch of things, right? So if we have 
an acting position, and there's plenty of acting positions actually in OSHA, so you could look for that yourself. All you have to do is look for the organizational chart. They'll show you exactly who that is. So there's a lot of people that's working two jobs or, or doing the best they can. They're working really hard uh, because of the, you know, there's a lot of poaching. There's, you know, people love to have someone who's ex-OSHA work in their company and they're going to throw some money at them for that. So that, yeah, that's a, something that OSHA is dealing with currently. But there's also some other reasons on that one. But uh, for the most part, that's what you're going to uh, look at. So let's get into the state plan. So when there is a state plan, it could be done in two different ways. The state can have full control over the public and private sector. And if they do, uh, then they have to have, well, all state plans, they have to incorporate the federal plan within six months of when there is a new rule or a new law that's come into place, then you got to have it within six months incorporated into your state plan. But some states are 100% our state OSHA is in charge. Cal OSHA is one of them. So that means if you're a public sector worker, you have protection and you could call OSHA to help you out if your city or your county isn't uh, playing by the rules, or you're a private sector and you still have the state OSHA that is going to be regulating and enforcing. So you have to go through their state rules, their state laws. So that is uh, those types of programs. But there's another type of state plan, which is a hybrid plan. You see a lot of those like uh, New Jersey's got one, New York's got one, and those hybrid plans is the state will only have jurisdiction over the public sector workers, but the private sector will be under federal OSHA. So that means that it's going to help the states who decide to do those hybrid plans because OSHA pays 50% of their operating cost, and that's by the act. So, man... If I was a state person, I'm getting 50% of my operating costs paid for by a federal agency, and I only look for the state employees, the city, the county employees. So that means my OSHA is going to be smaller than those OSHAs like Oregon OSHA or California OSHA or TOSHA, Tennessee OSHA. Then, yeah, might as well if I was in that position. Yeah, let's take the federal money and I'll only have a limited amount that I have to look over. And then we could just focus on those, uh, those entities, focus on those actual federal, uh, excuse me, those public sector workers. So there is 22 state plans that cover both private and the state and local government workers. There's six, six plans right now that covers state and local. And the state plans are monitored by OSHA and must be at least as effective as federal OSHA in protecting the workers' uh, safety and health. So that is important. So you got to really make sure you know your jurisdiction. And uh, especially if you're a consultant. I've had a bunch of times where cities and counties will come and they'll, uh, or I should say, they'll hire me to do some work for them. And if there are no state plans uh, and they're under federal OSHA, or I should say the state is under federal OSHA, 
I would get some resistance to a point. And the resistance will be this. It would be that, yes, we have to take care of our workers. We got to protect our workers. But we don't have to fall under OSHA's requirements. So therefore, we'll go up to a point. And then after that point, then what they'll turn, uh, break down to is uh, money. Or they'll break down to systems or something is going to be where they can't do that anymore. And then you're fighting an uphill battle. Those are tough. I, I got to agree. Those are tough. And then when you're also looking at it, think about every year OSHA does uh, their, their, just their fiscal year. They look at how many injuries and illnesses and fatalities there were for this past year. That does not include the numbers of the state workers, the local government workers that are not under any kind of state plan. So those numbers that you're seeing, though they're still staggering, they're actually underreporting because th those states, like I'm in Florida, you know, you don't hear about the fatalities from those from those workers. So that is something that I really believe there should be an amendment, and I'm saying this on record. Sheldon believes there should be an amendment to the Constitution, or I should say amendment to the OSHA Act, not the Constitution. Sheldon doesn't want to be on record for that one. There's got to be an amendment to the OSHA Act that says that we should include public sector workers regardless. So that means all these state plans, yes, they will have their own uh, state uh, imposed, let's say they want to be more stringent on Hascom or they want to be more stringent on some other, let's say New York City, which is, you know, their own entity, if you will. Their board of, um, I believe they call themselves the Board of Housing, Board of, I forget what it was. And I, I should know this because I wrote a class for, for a company uh, for this, but I just going blank right now. But anyway, their fall protection for construction is five feet, where the federal is six feet. So then that city is actually more stringent than even the federal. And you could do that. That's fine. You should know what your state. If you're the state of administrator, you should know your state. You should know what means more to your company, what kind of industries you have. And know that this means a little bit more to have five feet for protection versus six feet in construction. So that's just one of these uh, one of those nuances that you may see from the state. So we went over jurisdiction, we went over state versus federal, and just want to make sure that you understand that if you are in a federal OSHA state that does not have its own state plan teachers, uh, landscapers for the city, any of those city-county positions, they do not have any kind of jurisdiction. Federal OSHA has no jurisdiction over those workers, so therefore, their entity has to take care of them. The employer has to take care of them. So that's an important distinction to make. Uh, when you do really start breaking into states and plans and everything else, you have what's called an emphasis program. Each region has its own emphasis program. So I'm going to point these out 
And the reason why I want to make sure that we know a little bit about emphasis programs as part of this is because, generally speaking, you will have a cluster of industries in certain areas. Either it's because of tax purposes or it's because of other purposes that makes it easier to group these people together. Then what will happen is the region or the local area will start seeing certain hazards. And these certain hazards will become uh, systemic or systematic or however you want to say it to that specific area. So what happens is that they will start what's called a regional emphasis program or a local emphasis program. So you want to look online and you want to make sure that you are aware of not only your regional emphasis programs, but what is your local emphasis programs regarding your state. And when you are looking for that, you're also going to get a good understanding of uh, who can be inspected by OSHA. That's truly what it always breaks down to. Uh, it opens the door for OSHA to come in. OSHA will come in if there is uh, some sort of reference, if someone complains, if there's an emphasis program uh, that's a planned inspection. They'll come out for those things. Or if you you know do your own uh, self-reporting and that's like record keeping, you know you have one person that's hospitalized, one amputation, one loss of eye. You got to self-report that to OSHA. If a fatality happens, you got to self-report that to OSHA. Then they're going to come out. They're going to do the inspection in most cases. In some cases, they do do the letters, but. In most cases, they're going to come out for those things. So that is a way that OSHA is going to come in and they're going to uh, get uh, pretty much, they're going to get the door open for them to come in. Uh, OSHA's jurisdiction is over construction, maritime, agriculture, so and general industry. So those areas is pretty much OSHA's uh, jurisdiction. When you're thinking construction versus general industry, there's a big, big uh, issue with that one. So generally speaking, if you are going to look for the scope of construction, construction is, and this you'll find this is in 1926, that's the construction part, uh, section 10. So the number right after the dot is section, and then after that you're going to see a paragraph. So uh, 1910 or excuse me, 1926, Section 10, Paragraph A. That's how you would say uh, say that. There is wording that says, mm, scrolling down, uh, this is the scope of the, the full construction standard. So under the scope, it says construction, alteration, and or repair, including painting and decorating that no contractor or subcontractor con contracting for any part of the contract work shall be required any labor or maintenance or mechanical employed or mechanic employed in the performance of the contract work to the surroundings or under the conditions which are unsanitary hazardous well, basically it was just a general scope but generally what you're looking at for construction your definition for that one if you're constructing something building it if you're altering it if you're repairing it including painting and decorating then you have to follow the 1926 part so that's what you're looking for. General industry, on the other hand, is anything that is going to include uh, 
let's say manufacturing, that's the general industry, hospitals, general industry, uh, retail, general industry, all those things are not constructing, they're not altering, they're not repairing, they're not, uh, in some cases, painting or decorating. So those are always the tricky ones, right? So then you're going to end up having to do letters interpretation to really get an understanding of, of that part, you know, is my activity. And it's always the worker activity. So that's really what you have to think of. So let's say you're, um, you're in general industry and you decide that your worker needs to also do some things where they're not only mechanics, but they're building a shed in the back for, for their tools they're now, even though you're a 1910 general industry company, their activity is now under construction. So therefore, you have to follow the 1926 rules while their activity is in construction. So uh, you're actually looking at the activity of the workers versus your North American Industri Industry Classification System Code, NAICS. The NICS code is a grouping of people that do the same exact things. When you group these people together, uh, all residential construction roofing, or they may be, um, let's say they're uh, longshore something. Yeah, all those people are doing the same activity. They're grouped together in a certain code, and when they're grouped together in that code, that can be what your company is going to be designated as, you know, as residential roofing. But this day you got somebody saying, all right, our building needs to be, uh, you got to go back to the shop. And, and while you're back in the shop, let's go ahead and, and uh, start working on some of the stuff in the, in the shop. And we'll, we'll have to, you know, do our maintenance in the shop. Once that happens, yes, even though you're a residential roofing company, then you also will be in general industry. So it takes you into the 1910 standard. So that's important to understand that it's not always your company designation or your NAICS code. It's also the activity of the worker. That's what you're looking at to decide which book to grab. So the books, the code of federal regulation, uh, OSHA, like all the other agencies, they follow the Code of Federal Regulations, CFR, Department of Labor's in 29. So you'll see 29 CFR for uh, the OSHA people. Part 1910 is general industry. Part 1926 is construction. And maritime has three parts. And agriculture has one part. When you're in following those parts, uh, that is the first thing you'll see with your CFR books. You'll see the parts. And then after that, you're going to see subparts. So the subpart's always a letter. A, B, C, D, whatever it is. The subpart is always a letter. So that's a grouping is really what it breaks down to. It's a grouping of things that make this makes the most sense. So uh, let's go back to the 1926 construction, um, I'm kind of looking at this on the OSHA website. You could get all your regulations on the OSHA website. OSHA ups, updates it once a year in July. So if you're buying your CFRs, I would always buy them like October or no, not even October. I would say late August, early September. So you can have the most recent version, but you also want to match it up with your, um, your federal register. The Federal Register is where all the laws have to go in order for them to become a law. So you're going to have, um, let's say, 
uh, OSHA wants to do something and they're going to end up, well, let's explain it this way because I know you were, we're going to end up having to, uh, to talk about this anyway. Each agency has what's called an agenda. So there is a regulatory agenda for each agency. OSHA has a regulatory agenda. Uh, EPA has a regulatory agenda. They all, all have regulatory agendas. They're broken into four major categories. One is a proposed rule. Second is going to be a pre-rule. Then it's going to be, uh, excuse me, it's going to be pre-rule first, proposed rule, final rule, and then they do have what's newly called continuous actions, so the long-term actions, the items. So in pre-rules, uh, those stages is going to take a few years, but they're going through the comment period and everything when people talk back and forth and everybody wants to find out a little bit more about, you know, I want my voice heard, so I'm going to give my comment in this point. And OSHA will look through all those comments and then they're going to decide what's going to stay into the rules and what's going to be in the final rule. And then they'll do a proposed rule. You read that, some more comment time. And then the final rule, when it's done, then it's going to be released. That's what everyone's going to be required to know. And there's going to be a little grace period while everyone's figuring it out, right? So that is the way that those things are, or uh, how a, a rule will, or proposed rule will become law. It's all housed in a thing called the preamble. So make sure you look for the preamble. And if you want to find out any kind of rules, the preambles where it's hosted. You could go through each one of those preambles and you could kind of look through and see what all the comments were and everything. So you just type in preamble in the OSHA uh, website and you'll be able to see that. So uh, that's the regulatory agenda. Those are preambles. So we went through a, a few things right there. So back with the CFR. So now that it's actually in the CFR, uh, that codified way of OSHA to group things together they're going to put it in a part, construction, general industry, maritime, agriculture, wherever. And then after they put it in a part, then they're going to put it in subparts. And the subparts are going to group things together like you know, general safety and health, uh, occupational health and control, um, fall protection, personal protective equipment, fire protection and prevention, whatever it is. They're going to group all those things together. And then after they group all those things together then uh, they're going to break those parts into sections, and that's the number after the dot, and then from sections to paragraph to subparagraphs to sub-subparagraphs to sub-sub-subparagraphs. And you'll see it go from uh, the number, which is the section, the number after the dot, to a letter, which will be A, B, C, D, or whatever, work its way down from there. And then from your letter, let's say A5, uh, Roman numeral one, that's going to be your subpart and your sub sub, or excuse me, your paragraph and subparagraph and sub subparagraph really starts breaking up that way. So that is how you would read the CFRs. So, tips on reading the CFR there's a bunch of things that you want to make sure that you know. One of the things that you really want to make sure that you're aware of when you're reading the CFRs and looking at my time, it might be just, I think I'm going to stop with this one uh, after we go through this because there's a whole bunch more and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and I want you to be able to digest this material really well. So 
Uh, right now, if I'm going to tell you a little bit more about your CFRs, first you want to match the person's, whoever you're looking at or whatever activity they're looking that they're doing. Match up the activity, understand the activity first. Then after you understand the worker's activity, the next thing that you really want to understand is you want to understand if there's a hazard and what the hazard is. You you there's only a handful of things that that could get you cited if you don't have two things: a hazard and an exposure. You need to have a hazard, identified hazard, or a hazard that's known to happen or even presumed. A hazard and then exposure. So you need those two things, right? So with a hazard and an exposure, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to have a citation or automatically mean you're going to have an incident, but it's going to raise that likelihood, right? So even when OSHA's uh, fines and they do citations, they're looking for hazard and exposure and they quantify those two things. So make sure you understand the hazards, make sure you understand the exposure, that's going to help you lead you to what CFR you're going to be looking for. And don't mix and match standards and regulations. So let's say you're looking at uh, a hand and power tool and you're going to be going through subpart O for uh, machine guarding in general industry. Well, you might want to go through the hand and power tool one. Uh, so there's a few things, yes, that may cross over. There's also some things called incorporation by reference. So if you are looking at incorporation by reference, that's in Section 6 of General Industry, Section 6 of Construction. Those were things that OSHA says these entities, if it's the National Standards Institute, if it's um, uh, it's a bunch of them, uh, National Fire Protection Association, all these other agencies, OSHA will say their pamphlet, their document on this certain topic is inclusive to what we think safety and health would be, sound safety and health principles. Therefore, if you are not following the guidance in these documents, you're also breaking federal law because we're incorporating these documents into reference. And when they do that, then follow those incorporations by reference. So that means even your CFRs aren't complete. You still have to go find some of these documents from other places so you know exactly what to look for. So yeah, that's that's important to understand too. All right, so so far we talked about OSHA jurisdiction, we talked about state versus feds, we talked about reading CFRs, we talked about preambles, uh, talked about incorporation by reference, we talked about regional and local emphasis programs, and we're going to stop with that. So next week I'm going to make uh, part two on this. And when we come back, we're going to also go in deeper into the regional local emphasis. We'll talk about compliance letters. We'll talk about enforcement units. And then we'll also talk about uh, a few things regarding uh, record keeping. So it's probably going to take about, you know what, record keeping might be its own chapter. So let's, let's, um, I'm going to reserve uh, what I'm going to do for next week other than those, those things I first mentioned because record keeping is going to be a bunch. I, I'm going to probably have to do a whole record keeping episode. And I did one before in an interview where I did talk to uh, Redbeard, if you remember him. Uh, Redbeard is the guy whose uh, website is isitrecordable.com. So you might want to listen to that one. But uh, before I go, I want to introduce you guys to the Safety Consultant resource page. 
Now, that Safety Consultant resource page can be found at safetyconsultant.us. That's a monthly membership site that I've started uh, just so I could help you and you could help each other with your safety consulting business. It's a place to find all the resources you will need for your business as well as continuing training so that you will learn more and more and more about the business of being a safety consultant. And you're also going to have an opportunity for questions and answers. You're going to have an opportunity for me to uh, coach and mentor you and opportunity to network amongst other people. So you want to go to safetyconsultant.us backslash join. And uh, I'm looking to release this on Black Friday. So if I can't get it out by Black Friday, then uh, go to that U.S., uh, excuse me, safetyconsultant.us backslash join, and then you could join the mailing list because there is currently a main, uh, excuse me, a waiting list. There's a waiting list for this, so you could join that waiting list, but my goal is to try to get everything out by Black Friday, which I believe might be the week of this broadcast. So by the end of the week, we should have that out. And I got a lot of it up. The site is functional, so you could go on the site. You could see the blog posts. You could see a few other things that is currently on the site. So kind of flip around. You won't be able to be a member yet until I get the membership site going completely. But when I do, you'll get that notification from the waiting list that everything is up and running. You can become a member and you could get the ideas, the resources you need to make sure that you could be viable as a safety consultant. And it will also include my book. So you can have the book and some courses uh, related to becoming a safety consultant. All right. So uh, stand by. We're going to do the tip of the week after these words from our sponsor. Do you feel that your knowledge would be better served if you are your own boss? Your knowledge can help more people improve their workplace safety. Most of what you know may be wasting in a job that limits what you can do for the overall health and safety of workers. Now is the time to start your own business while you're still working for your current employer. Start your own safety consultant business with the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. Get your business legal in just a week. Brand yourself as an authority in safety, even on a shoestring budget. No more stressing about how to price your services fairly, but still make a profit. And experience the amazing feeling of being your own boss. This 100% online video course is instructor-led and will give you detailed steps to keep you focused as to what to do next to grow your business. Lay out strategies to keep you maximizing your marketing and networking efforts. And explain how to get money in between clients. Register today at safetyconsultantblueprint.com and enter the code PODCAST. Enjoy some of your favorite hosts in the safety world. Enjoy shows by Sheldon Primus, Blaine J. Hoffman, Jill James, Mike Sedham, Rob Fisher, Todd Conklin, and Jay Allen. Welcome back to the Safety Consultant Podcast. So I am going to get right into the tip of the week. 
So the tip of the week is going to be kind of something that uh, I started to mention earlier. And one of the things I really want to make sure that you do is uh, go through the OSHA.gov website. And I know that they've they have truly changed it. So one of the things I want you to do is sign up for Quick Takes. Quick Takes is OSHA's email. You guys have heard me mention it before. It's their newsletter. You'll get it every other week. So you want to make sure you get a good, uh, well, get yourself on that newsletter. So that's one thing. The second thing for this tip of the week is I want you to really start examining. And this is going to help you for the rest of uh, this session that I'm going to be doing, however many weeks I'm going to be doing this one. Um, I, I think I might be able to get it within three to four weeks, but, I'm, um, but truly I'm going to want to give you guys as much time as you need so that we can demystify OSHA for you. So the thing I want you to go through for the tip of this week is I really want you to first re-listen to this episode. Yes, that's one of the tips. But not only re-listen to this episode, I want you to go to your region. So go to your region on the OSHA website, find your region, and then look for your regional emphasis program, and then look for your local emphasis programs. So once you could find those things, then that's going to help you know who to target for services as a safety consultant. Think of these people as being the people that you want to contact and call and email and find on LinkedIn and offer them some service for you. So that's the tip of the week. Go ahead and get on the OSHA.gov website and you want to get look for the regional emphasis program, the local emphasis program, and understand truly what is the hazards in your area and the industries in your area. They're going to be the most motivated people to hire a consultant. All right, so enjoy the rest of your week. I will see you on Monday. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the U.S. too. So it's the holiday season, right? Be safe. Happy Thanksgiving. See you next Monday. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.